3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, I yeah. <laughs>
0: ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, a girl, go shopping! Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California?
2: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
0: Welcome to Forward Thinking.
3: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, a podcast that looks at the future and says they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
1: I'm Lauren Volklebaum.
3: And I'm Joe McCormick. And today. Yes, Joe? We're going to start by
4: reading out an email that we got in reference to one of our most recent podcasts. It was an email from our listener, Frank, in New York, or maybe it'd be better to say Long
3: Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long Island. Oh, do you want to read? Are you no, going to read it in read that it. accent? Lauren, Lauren oh, goodness gracious. No,
1: let's let's not do accents. It's too early in the afternoon to do accents, you guys. Uh no, no. So so Frank wrote in and said, "Hi guys, just listen to part 2 of Mega Cities. Joe made a comment that compelled me to share my experience and possibly blow his mind as well as garner a little sympathy for me. His comment was something like, "OMG, people actually drive into New York City?" Oh, yes, Joe. Unfortunately, a lot of us are tortured on a daily basis. I live on Long Island, about 60 miles from my job in Lower Manhattan. Editorializing? (laughs) Okay, back. Uh, Although Jonathan only lives three miles from his job, 60 miles is an average commute around here, but the distance isn't really the issue. The issue is time. It takes me three hours each way every day. Talk about premature aging. It is literal torture. Now, many people would suspend their sympathy to make the point that I must have or should have taken the commuting time into consideration when I bought my house. I did. I bought my house in 1992 and considered the commute into Manhattan acceptable because it only took an hour and 20 minutes. Despite expanding all of the major highways and implementing new strategies to ease traffic, the population of Long Island and New York City have increased so quickly that my commute time has more than doubled in the 23 years I've been doing this. No real point to make here, just my two cents. I enjoy the show. Thank you, Frank.
4: Well, thank you, Frank. That was enlightening and a true nightmare to imagine. It was like one of the the better Stephen King short stories, <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, it takes me an hour to get to work, but that's because I walk. If I didn't walk, it would take me like ten minutes to get to work. <laughs> you know because he was saying, like, uh you know, three hours for sixteen miles takes me an hour just to go three. But then I'm on foot.
1: <laughs> well, sh- sure, sure, but yeah. I mean, if you took, for example, a taxi.
3: Yeah, if I if I if I decided to take a cab, it would take me no time at all. Don't lie, Jonathan. Sometimes you call Uber. I have done that on occasion. Usually when the weather is particularly awful. Yeah. Uh, normally I will walk it, but if if I am one exhausted and it's 98 degrees outside and 70% humidity, yeah, I'm going to call Uber. Or if it's pouring down rain, I'll call Uber. Otherwise, I walk it. And I got to tell you, when I take Uber and I get in an air-conditioned vehicle and I am quickly whisked away to my house in just 10 or 15 minutes, I start to really reconsider my priorities when it comes to walking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. all, All these car services are kind of rad.
3: Yeah, they totally are. I mean, it's and it's one of those things that has developed quickly over the past several years. And what led us to this particular episode and the reason why Frank's uh, message is so is so pertinent is we wanted to talk about this concept of combining a couple of things we've talked about in previous episodes. So uh, we're talking mostly about autonomous vehicles. Yeah, uh, which We've covered multiple times on this show and we're talking about ways to improve dense urban environments so that they are more pleasant to, uh, to work, play and live in.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. And
3: travel around in. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. And we've done at least three episodes about autonomous cars and how they work. So if you want to hear a whole lot about that, you can tune into Maximum Overclock and Look Ma, no Hands, both of which are from March 2013. And Robot, You Can Drive My Car, which is by far my favorite episode title to say out loud from November 2013.
4: Do we really want to send people back to those March 2013
3: episodes? Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> L- listen
1: at your own risk. That early. was like the first month we were doing the yeah, show, yeah. Early,
3: early in the, in the whole deal. But that tells you how many times we've talked about <laughs> autonomous cars. I mean, those are those are the, the ones that are expressly about autonomous cars. We also seem to mention them at least once every month or so. Well, we do because – I think we're
4: all three on record, and please feel free to disagree. As being pretty pro autonomous car, you yeah. Know, like there are a lot of emerging technologies that have pros and cons. Things we can point out, and say, I don't know, you know, th- this could turn out bad. It's always hard to tell what the full range of effects of a new technology will be. Mm-hmm. But with autonomous cars, I think the motivation is there for adoption. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be overall beneficial in a pretty serious and noticeable way. And I think I want one. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. They're they're provably at, at this current stage safer than human drivers, and also uh, more fuel efficient than right. human drivers. Exactly.
3: Yeah. yeah. So so just a quick rundown on the benefits of autonomous cars. We've we've kind of mentioned them here. Uh, for an autonomous car, you can put sensors in every location around that car so that it can it can completely sense its environment with no blind spots. So that's already an advantage over a human driver, right? Uh, also, it can pay equal amounts of attention to all of those at the same time, processing all of that information. Whereas as a human driver, you are focused on pretty much a single direction with maybe some peripheral awareness of some other stuff that's going on, but it's not your full focus. It can't be. It um,
4: can look everywhere, and it does. You can't look everywhere, and you don't. Right. Uh-huh.
3: Uh, and if you try, then often bad things can happen. Oh, uh, man, maybe
1: this is why Sherlock Holmes doesn't drive out anywhere
3: Yeah. ever, he, because he's just noticing he's too just, much Ew. stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's very possible. The autonomous cars can also react in a fraction of the time it takes a human to react to the same stimulus. So if there's an emergency situation where you need to apply the brake, uh, a robotic car is going to be able to do that more effectively effectively and faster than any human could. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the concentration of autonomous cars is high enough on the road, it can really help reduce traffic congestion. We've talked about that in the past where you don't even need to have every car on the road be autonomous. You just need enough of them yeah. to um, to create this uh, this traffic flow that's much more efficient and you have fewer traffic jams as a result, at least mm-hmm. according to simulations being run. We haven't rolled out enough of them to really test it out yet.
1: Uh, sure. Well, well, on a, on a small level and kind of anecdotally, you can see this if you use uh, uh, Apple Maps or Google Maps or something like that to tell you how to get to a place. It will automatically reroute you around bad traffic areas these right, days. Right. So, technology.
4: Yeah, and they also, in addition to all of this Theoretical knowledge; they have a practical, proven record so far. Sure, they are doing very well in the field.
3: Yeah, the only accidents that the Google cars have been in so far have the last been,
1: time that we checked, at any rate.
3: Yeah, and it, I want to say there were it was up to seven or eleven total, but at any rate, none of them were uh, caused by the the autonomous by vehicle. the
1: computer. They right. were caused by humans yeah. around the computer. Right.
4: You know, in fact, there was an instance I can't remember exactly when it was. It was like a month ago or so where the media got all excited because uh, there was a report that supposedly some autonomous cars had – almost gotten into a wreck with each other. It was the biggest
3: I, non-story. I know. Ever. I ended
4: up reading into that and saying, there's nothing here that, like, nobody got hurt. There was not a collision. Yeah,
3: yeah the The person from Google actually <laughs> said, the person from Google said, the the headline here is, autonomous cars do exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Because what had That's happened, how it read to me. The way, the way it was being reported, at least in some media outlets, some of them were really good about it. Some of mm-hmm. them were very responsible, but a few of them said, you know, near miss with autonomous cars. And and the story almost came across as a Google car had um, had cut off a Delphi car and that. Uh, no, it was it. Yeah, it was Delphi, I think. Um, so a Google car had cut off a Delphi car and uh, the Delphi car was able to react to prevent an accident from happening. And then the person at Delphi said, that's not what I said at all. What I said was our autonomous car had made a plan to do a lane change. But then the Google car did a lane change first, which meant that the space the Delphi car was supposed to go into was currently occupied. So the Delphi car switched its strategy, which is exactly what human drivers do all the time. And we don't well, report on Well, but often it. fail to do and then <laughs> hit each other. Oh, yeah, where where yeah. you're like, no, I want that lane and it is mine whether your car yeah. is in it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the that was the deal was that it was not a car cutting off another one. It was a car making a lane change and another car – Changing at the last section, second, its mind mm-hmm. to change lanes.
4: Yeah. So I don't want to sound like a you know shill for the autonomous car vendors out yeah. there, but it seems to me their track record is pretty good. The human driving track record is not good at all.
3: Right. It's it's demonstrably worse. Yeah. Right. I mean, there, <laughs> we have plenty of of records on that. The one big drawback to autonomous cars. Is that they're going to be really, really expensive yeah. uh, when they come out? Assuming that you know, at least at first, at least at first, and and probably significantly expensive for quite some time afterward. Because while manufacturing can really help uh, bring down costs, like as you improve those processes, the amount of technology being packed into these cars is such that even with improvements to those manufacturing processes, you're never going to get uh, an autonomous car down to the price of like a a The mid-priced car, it's always going to be on the high end, um, possibly on the very high end, at least for the foreseeable future. But that's not necessarily a deal breaker as far as autonomous cars helping us out.
4: No, because I I want to form a little analogy here. I remember people saying this. In fact, they're still saying it today, but they used to say like in the 90s was, oh, we'll never have electric vehicles because they just cost too much. And they will
1: never cost less. We will surely never improve mm-hmm. upon this technology.
4: Right. And it's true that there haven't been a whole lot of personal electric vehicles rolled out. But one thing that I think we did get fairly early on was certain areas like some college campuses or some downtown areas adopting electric buses. Right. And other forms of electric public transportation.
3: Right. And that's exactly why we wanted to kind of segue into this discussion about the possibility of using Uh, electric autonomous vehicles as a taxi fleet. In other words, not looking at autonomous cars as something that you as a person go out and go to a car dealership and purchase, and this is the vehicle you're going to be using. But rather, what about a an environment where there's a fleet of these autonomous cars and you can hail one of these cars like a Mm -hmm. cab whenever you need to get from point A to point B? And so it's a it's a very different use case. And when it comes to that use case, the story is incredibly different. It is much different than from uh, the the huge uh, barrier of entry of the cost for an individual person. Ah, uh, right, right.
1: So so let's talk about some solid numbers. Let's talk about New York City, which has really quite a lot of taxicabs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is also where Frank is from.
3: Yes. Yeah, so New York City is great example for multiple reasons. One the enormous fleet of cabs that are there. Two, it's a very dense urban environment. It's got a large population. We mentioned it in our megacities episode. It's a great candidate to use as an example. So uh, the data that I'm going to be spouting off is (laughs) from lots of different sources over several different years. So keep in mind that the numbers aren't all uh they they don't all come from one source right mm-hmm. so uh so there's going to be some your mileage may vary in this case uh oh. a, according to the 2010 census uh less than half of the 3 million households in New York City own a car so fewer than half of the popu- of the households not population but the households in New York City own a car um, that's 1.4 million households own a car, according to the 2010 census. And the lowest ownership rate is in Manhattan, where it's around 23 percent of households owning a car.
4: Yeah, but doesn't every household have their own subway station? <clears throat>
3: yes, that's how New York works. Uh,
4: <laughs> well, no, I mean, the point I'm making is that you can definitely chalk that up to ha- them having very good public transit.
3: Yeah, that's definitely. Well, that's part of it. But the taxi cabs are also the yellow cabs. Yeah. Are, they help. They are they are almost almost exclusively concentrated in lower Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, So the other ones, Brooklyn is at 44 percent ownership. Bronx is at 46 percent. Queens is at 64 percent. And Staten Island is at 84 percent. Now, if you want to compare that to the national average, the average across the entire United States in the U.S., 92 percent of households own at least one car. So in New York City, it is much lower than average. Um New York City is, uh, therefore, this great example of how are people getting around if they're not if not everyone owns a vehicle, uh, and so uh, des- besides the buses and subways, cabs and livery cars and other vehicles that are driver for hire services, that's the answer. Besides walking, that's also a big one. Um, <laughs> but
1: uh, how, how many taxis are there running around in New York?
3: So. D- The most recent number I've seen is 13,587. However, the most recent site I could find was uh, from an actual, from an actual uh, source from within New York City was the 2014 taxi cab fact book a jolly good read um, <laughs> it's published by New York's Taxi and Limousine Commission and at that time when they published the fact book it was 13,437 so somewhere in the 13,500 range is what we're talking about
1: mm-hmm. and it's such an exact number because New York and, and New York's Taxi and Limousine Commission specifically dispense these uh, these medallions which are kind of like a license to be a cabbie or, yeah. or a license for your car to be used as a cab,
3: right? You're authorized to right. act as a cab driver within the, the New York City uh, area. And a medallion is a small metal plate that actually attaches to the hood of a taxi. That's what designates that car as being authorized and is le- it is legally allowed to act as a cab because we also have probably all have heard the stories of people landing in New York and some Yahoo with a car just says, happens
1: to be yellow driving on up. And yeah, 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 they, they're they're what make sure you don't get kidnapped by a crazy person.
3: <laughs> right. Or or just fleeced. Like it mm-hmm. may be that, you know, you get picked up by somebody who's charging you ridiculous rates that have nothing to do with the um, the actual uh, authorized rates. Yeah, yeah because the- – Oh, I thought you meant the Central Park in New Hampshire. <laughs> 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 you, know what? you thought you wanted the scenic route. We're going to visit all the boroughs until we get to Manhattan. uh, Yeah, so – the the medallions are these plates that are on the cars. That's how you recognize that it's a, a cab, technically. That you've got the yellow cabs in uh, lower Manhattan. That's mainly where you're going to find them. Um, there are actually two different types of medallions. There's independent medallions and mini fleet medallions, but both of those mean that the driver of that car is authorized to operate a cab. Uh, so here's an interesting number. Yellow taxis provide an average of 485,000 trips per day.
1: Shoo. Collectively, not per taxi.
3: No, yeah, it's all, all <laughs> of them together. 175 million a year, by the Ugh. way. It's a lot of trips. Now there are also Boro Taxis. And I apologize if you guys in New York pronounce it totally different, but it's B-O-R-O. And it's, uh, it's for the boroughs. Is, is it I'd, Boro Taxis? I, I
1: would imagine Boro Taxis. <laughs> you would think so,
3: but it's B-O-R-O and I'm calling it Boro. It's Boro Taxis. <laughs> you do what you want, Jonathan Strickland. There, there are at least 12,000 of They're them. They're
4: abbreviated Boraxis. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> so if you get on a Borax, uh, it's slippery. No, uh, the borough taxis, there are at least 12,000 of them as of 2014, and they are green in color. They're not yellow. Uh, they serve areas of New York not commonly covered by yellow taxi service, so really anything out of lower Manhattan. Uh, in total, we're looking at around 25,000 taxis of some sort, yellow or green, serving the streets of New York City. Then you've got another 25,000 falling under the category of liveries, uh, and you cannot street hail one of those, so you can't be on the corner and – see a livery car and, and flag it down. They're not allowed to stop. Uh, you can, you must prearrange your trips with these services. So they're a little different from the taxis. Also until recently, there was no way to get a yellow cab without just flagging it down. You couldn't prearrange them. Oh
1: wow. Yeah. Wow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you had to flag it down. And you flag it down these days either the old fashioned way where you're waving at a cab driver or there are also apps now where you can use that to, uh, to flag a cab. But Mm -hmm. it's essentially the same thing. Uh, then you've got, uh, the black car services, which has about another 10,000 vehicles. So you're looking at what, 60,000 of these cars driving people around New York City. Now, on top of that, those are all the, those are all the ones that are overseen by the uh, taxi and limousine commission.
4: Yeah. What about Uber?
3: So Uber.
1: Uber Uber and and Lyft and all those other. Similar oh, yeah. digital services right. have popped up recently.
3: Uber in particular has uh, raised some 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 hell over in New York City, people would say, because they've they come in and the taxi and limousine commission not really super happy about this other group coming in that has nothing like they don't answer to the commission at all. They set their own rates. They uh you know, it's it's very different approach and the perception is that Uber is taking a lot of business away from the registered drivers who also have to go through like the a lot more regulation than Uber does. So there there's some real concerns saying, "Hey, it's not really fair this other business is coming in and they're not subject to the same restrictions that we are." So why are we why are we allowing them to steal business? That's kind of the the narrative. However, there's some things you got to keep in mind. First of all, there are more Uber cars on the streets of New York City uh, than there are yellow taxi cabs.
1: Uh, well, there are more Uber drivers. That's
3: really well. That's the fair thing to say. How
1: how, how many are in operation at any given time? Is is significantly lower. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, so Uber drivers uh, number around 19,000 in New York City across seven bases. Uh depending upon where you read this 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 statistic because I've also seen it as low as around 14,400 and as high as 19,000. But there that means that there are more Uber drivers either way, even on the low number, there are more Uber drivers than there are yellow taxi medallions in New York City. Uh, however, that does not mean that Uber has taken out a huge chunk of that taxi business. So remember, I said 480,000 trips per day uh, for the taxi cabs. For Uber, it's closer to 34,000, 34,271 trips per day. So a fraction. Oh, yeah. Tiny, tiny amount compared. That was a uh, that number comes from a, a report in September 2014. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, we should really do a whole episode on these these types of services because mm-hmm. the the legal tangles and the surrounding like socio technological issues are are really interesting. Um, and the numbers are more serious in other cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portland is in the middle of a four month taxi deregulation experiment, and according to their interim report, Uber and Lyft and and etc. have handled forty three percent of taxi calls in May.
3: Wow. Yeah, so very different story depending upon where you are.
1: Uh, sure. Well, and, and that's also partially, I'm sure, due to the deregulation that's going on in sure. that area right now. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of that experiment period and do lots more research and come back to you guys with another episode if y'all yeah, if it would warrants, like to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: because it's it's definitely, I mean, the, the story of, of Uber in general is pretty amazing. This was a an idea that uh, ended up being... A multi-billion dollar idea oh and yeah it's phenomenal,
1: yeah, so at any rate we've got uh what's this like seventy to ninety thousand
3: yeah cars cars that are uh, that providing are driver ser-
1: services exactly on, in New York City
3: not necessarily all at the same time, but yes, yeah, ninety thousand cars <laughs> in New York City providing services for people to get from point a to point b uh so what if we did something really crazy? and we ended up taking all of those cars off the streets fired all the drivers and replaced them all with robo taxis
4: well that is certainly
3: not great if you are a taxi or uber driver <laughs> nope but uh, it's it's also something that you absolutely should plan for if you happen to be a taxi or uber driver because uh sooner or later uh, this will happen yeah. whether whether it'll happen you know, within the next five to 10 years, largely depends not so much on the technology as it does on the legislation. That's yeah. really where it's going to, to uh, be the battleground, I think. But it will happen.
1: Uh, and don't just believe us. There was a study that recently came out that says pretty much the same thing.
3: Yeah. The Earth Institute at Columbia University was one of these studies. There are actually quite a few that are really interesting. Uh, this one is available in full. On the net. If you want to go and read it, you, you can find the Earth Institute's Columbia University study. It was released in 2013 and it was looking for sustainable solutions for personal mobility. In other words, what is the, what is the car of the future going to look like? And is it going to be a privately owned vehicle or will we have shifted to some other means of mobility in the future? And they were actually looking at what are the most uh, economical and energy efficient uh, methods of getting around, especially if you are in a, an urban environment, because the, the further out from an urban environment you get, the more a private personal vehicle makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you are within an urban environment and your travel is restricted to, you know, a certain few thousand miles a year, like six thousand miles a year because of the way you work and live in that space, Owning a personal vehicle may not make sense. And so they looked at several different uh, factors. Uh, One was they were looking at the way of using the Internet to coordinate between a fleet of cars and the people who need transportation. So like the smartphone apps for Uber and Lyft and also for some cab companies. So it takes advantage of like GPS data, it takes advantage of the this internet interconnection where uh you also have a uh, a system that can keep track of what all the different cars are doing at any given time. So it can route the most efficient vehicle to get to the destination uh that destination being the person who's hailing a car. Yeah, so, and if
4: you you have an app for something like Uber, it probably already does something like this. Yeah.
3: It, yeah, it's it's very much like that. If you ever pull up the Uber app and you just use it without, like, you're not calling a car yet, you can actually see all the cars that are in your area mm-hmm. that are driving around in different places. And then can you, you play Pac-Man with them? You you cannot Ooh, hey, control them. Hey <laughs> <I> mean, Uber, <laughs>
1: please make Pac-Man.
3: Yeah, Google Maps did for April right, Fools. They, right, turned, I they turned
4: Google oh, Maps into Pac-Man. Oh, so no, but we're talking about Pac-Man with the ghosts being real cars. <laughs>
3: <laughs> go watch pixel and come back to me and tell me what a great idea that was <laughs> okay okay so uh the next thing they looked at were autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. that's also part of the uh what they were uh considering for the cars or the personal transportation of the future shared vehicles so this would be the you know abandoning the idea of owning your own vehicle and doing something more along the lines of taking cabs or uber or these robotic Cars, uh, and you wouldn't own the robotic car. You would just, you know, hire it for a ride and then you'd be done. And then you would do it again whenever you needed a ride the next time.
4: Uh, how about if the car didn't have to be the same size for every trip?
3: huge huge part of this
4: yeah because let's say you're one person you need a taxi ride and there yeah. are three empty seats or two empty seats that you're oh, yeah. not occupying yeah like,
1: I've, I've randomly you know had nothing but minivans to choose from when i get off at an airport or something like yeah. that
3: no when, every time i go to ces whenever i'm in the line the taxi cab line it almost always seems like I get the minivan as my cab, and that's space going to waste. Mm-hmm. Like There could be a group behind me that could have really used that, but because the way the system works, where it's first come, first serve – It doesn't, you know, they're not they're not matching the size of the vehicle with the needs of the rider. But if you could do that, if you could right size, say, I'm one
4: person for this trip,
3: right, then you could have a vehicle of the appropriate size, a small vehicle, come pick you up. Whereas a family of four that are on vacation and have luggage, they could have a larger vehicle pick them up.
4: And of course, that's not just about space; that's about energy. If the car only needs to fit one person, it will weigh less, right, and it needs less. Less use energy. less energy.
3: Mm-hmm. And also it, it takes up less space for storage, it takes up less space for mm-hmm. parking. There are a lot of reasons why you would want to uh, maximize the efficiency of the size of the v- various cars in your taxi fleet. Because mm-hmm. it may be that you're, you know, especially if you look at the the statistics in New York City, most of the rides tend to be one or two people. So if your fleet is mostly of vehicles that can carry one or two people, then you can uh you know you you can have a much smaller storage space for your fleet of vehicles since only a, a small portion of them would be larger right for the for those times where there are mm. 3 or 4 or more people who need to get from point A to point B
4: now i see another thing that you said they take into consideration yes. is advanced propulsion now we're talking about nuclear pulse propulsion i then, wish
3: right? yeah in the in the actual <laughs> study they call it advanced propulsion systems and i thought Plasma? What's going on? It's like, but no. Mr. Fusion. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, there's, they're specifically talking about electric vehicles, whether it's pure electric as in a battery powered vehicle or fuel cell. They also mention fuel cell vehicles, which are, you know, they're also electric cars. Mm -hmm. It's just they're using hydrogen as a fuel to create this chemical reaction that generates electricity. Mm -hmm. And then the output is electricity, heat, and water. Uh, whether it's fuel cell or electric uh, battery they that's really what they were looking at for advanced propulsion so they wanted to see what could we do if we really concentrate on these five things and combine them in some way the the ideal uh, future personal transportation system would be a combination of all five of these things in one form factor.
4: So they're, they're creating like their fantasy football team version of the <laughs> New York transportation system.
3: Yeah, yeah. And they said that if you combine all of these, uh, you could save a huge amount of time, money, energy. I mean, pretty much across the board, you would be making a better choice for getting people around a, an urban environment.
4: That seems intuitive, but I guess the question is how much better?
3: OK, so we talked about that seventy to 90,000 cars around New York City. Uh, specifically, they were looking at the yellow taxi cabs, which let's be fair. Let's eliminate everything else but the yellow taxi cabs. So that's back to the 13,400 right. or so. hmm This study said that you could replace all of those yellow taxi cabs with 9,000 electric autonomous vehicles. So you you have already wiped out a ton of those. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that those yellow taxi cabs, while they represent only a fraction of the overall driver service cars out in New York City, they have the vast majority of the fares. They Mm -hmm. are by far providing the most trips out of all the different cab services and liveries in New York City. So you could just boost that 9,000 number up a little bit and presumably you would have enough to cover all of those driver services in New York, which is pretty phenomenal. And the way you do it is through being incredibly efficient and having next to no downtime. So in, if you're a driver of a cab, a yellow cab, and the only way you get fares is when you see someone flag you down or You you
4: have to drive around with an empty cab.
3: Yeah. Tons of downtime where you don't have someone, or at least enough downtime so that it is a problem. It's wasted potential. But when you have this master system that is scheduling things out and keeping things as efficient as possible, there's very little downtime involved. As soon as a car is dropping off, it's on its way to go pick someone else up. And, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to be able to dive deeper into their research because Some of it sounds almost magical. They were talking about (laughs) 9,000 cars doing this, and your wait time would be less than a minute from when you hail the cab. Wow. So you open up your smartphone. You say, I need a ride. Less than a minute later, an autonomous electric vehicle pulls up, and you get in. Now, if you're talking about your average yellow taxi cab wait time, if you are actively looking for a cab and trying to flag one down – the average wait time is closer to five minutes. So you've already saved time just with that. And you're using fewer cars. So there are fewer cars on the streets of New York City as well. This That also means that there's less traffic. So you've also sped up the amount of time. <laughs> yeah. that it takes
1: anyone on the road to get anywhere. Right? Exactly.
3: Yeah. So – there those are huge benefits there so yeah a slightly larger fleet would probably do that for all those so the, imagine that you now can remove 70 to 90,000 cars from the New York City area and those are replaced by let's be i'm going to double it just for the heck of it 18,000 electric vehicles less than 20,000 vehicles could replace 70 to 90,000 that exist right now and that's again just the driver services you could also eventually see people say, well, I don't need a personal vehicle now. I can get to where I need to go by taking one of these cars. So you get rid of the personal vehicles because when you think about it, personal vehicles, 90 percent of the time, they're parked. You're not using them. And in New York City, you're paying for that. <laughs> like, dearly. Yeah, most people are paying more for a parking space than you would find for an average house here in Atlanta. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. um it might be a slight exaggeration, but not by a whole lot. Uh, so also because we're talking about electric vehicles and not gasoline-powered vehicles, there is the environmental factor to consider. According to another study done by the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, the per-mile greenhouse gas emissions of an autonomous electric vehicle would be 90% lower than that of a 2014 gasoline-powered vehicle. That was even taking into consideration how the electricity is being Produced simply by the, the reduction in the amount of travel and the right-sizing, that being a huge part of it. Because if you're right-sizing, meaning that you're sending out only the vehicle necessary to carry the passenger and there, you know to meet the passenger's needs, then you're not using the same bulk vehicle. That's going to be drawing the same amount of electricity as every other bulk vehicle out there. You're going to be using a lot of smaller ones that are just going to be sipping at electricity instead of gulping at it.
1: Uh, Sure. And here's the part where we do have to say, as always, that the way that you generate that electricity through the grid matters. It
3: does matter. Like in California, this would make way more sense than New York. And the reason I say that is that California has a lot more green power plant technology incorporated in it. Than New York does. So in New York City, most of the power plants, in fact, I think all the power plants in New York City are gas fired power plants. So it means they're using natural gas and some are using a combination of natural gas and coal. So you are using fossil fuels to generate electricity. So while the cars themselves are clean, the electricity may not be. And in the case of New York, it isn't. So that is something to consider that, yes, the individual cars are not going to be generating greenhouse gases. But the system that provides the energy that lets the cars move does. So there's a larger picture that you have to look at in that case. Uh, according to the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, it still makes sense. <laughs> they go into a great deal of detail and part of it is that they assert that more and more regions are looking into greener means of producing electricity. So part of it, part of it is rest on the assertion that things are going to change, which might be a little. Let's let's be fair. Let's say it's optimistic.
1: Huh. Well, well, I mean the the commercial urge of having, you know, hypothetically a bunch of electric vehicles on the road that all need to be charged, would give people more of an incentive to start creating these these greener ways of. Power
3: gener- yeah, and there are tons of incentives to do it and that's just one of them, obviously. I mean, just, just wanting to clean up the environment being another one. Wanting to... Eh. <laughs> Screw the penguins, they're or, too cute. Or, or for, for ones that are petroleum based, wanting to, to, uh, free yourself from the burdens of, uh, having to import some of your petroleum and thus the national security angle of energy comes into play. Uh, but yeah, it's, all of these things are, are they look like they're positives. In fact, both the Columbia study and the the Berkeley study, the Lawrence uh, Berkeley study, both of them came to the same conclusion, which is that, in an unusual turn of events, the greenest approach also, in the long run, is the most economical. It will save you more because the key there being in the long in the run. long run in the long run yes. and and not for personal ownership. You have to take that shared vehicle into account. That's what makes it. A, uh, an attractive, economical approach. Not for the person who wants to have their own car. This is for the person who lives in a, a city and wants to be able to get around and maybe doesn't want their own car because they don't want to make car payments. They don't want to make insurance payments. They don't want to be taxed every year on the vehicle that they use to get around. So if if they are using a system like this, then they're paying on a per trip basis. And even if you factor in all the trips, it may be that you're your cost per year is lower than that of owning a car, unless you're one of those people who can buy a car and make it last for 20 years. In which case you could argue, Hey, no, I'm <laughs> in my case, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make sense. But, uh, but most of us are not like that, right? Most of us can't have a car and have it in good working condition for a really long time. That's getting less and less common these days. So again, because of all that technology, and how expensive it is. The average estimation of how much that would add to the cost of a vehicle adding on top of the already, you know, whatever the price tag is is another $150,000. So take a $30,000 car, toss 150,000 on top of it, $180,000 for your autonomous car. It's yeah, I don't expensive. have that sitting around. I don't either. I thought I did. Turns out, it's more like about a buck seventy three and change.
4: <laughs> what is it with the true coat sealant?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what if I want that undercoat treatment thing? Um, yeah, no. So, if we do look at it from that personal ownership, it's prohibitively expensive, and would be for quite some time because, again, even bringing those costs down, you would have to bring them down an incredible amount to get close to what. The cars of today cost. Right. So this would be decades or at least a decade to get to that level. However, if you look at it as you are an organization that wishes to provide driver services in a dense urban environment and you compare it to the cost of maintaining a fleet of uh, gasoline powered vehicles operated by humans, it suddenly starts to make sense mm-hmm. because you're not paying those drivers. Robots don't get paid, so they might take our jobs, but at least we know they're not making a living. <laughs> you know, there's a little silver, there.
1: silver lining yeah, on that like, e cloud know, like there.
3: They're just as miserable as I am. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, and I want to point out that these organizations that are providing cab services Have some money because it's not a cheap thing to run a taxi service. Right. In New York, you have to purchase that medallion, that, that license to run your cab. And Mm -hmm. the prices of them vary with the market, but they run in the, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to the millions of dollars. For, for example, they sold for an average of $800,000 each during the first quarter of 2015. And that's way down from like the two million that they were going for a couple years ago. So, on top of that, you've got insurance and industry fees. And what I'm saying is that overall, it's a very expensive business to be in. And and whether or not this would make it less expensive is very complicated. Right, but well, even I, but I can imagine that like it would lower your insurance premiums. Yep,
3: it would. If you're using electric, then you don't have the fuel costs associated with fueling a mm-hmm. fleet of taxis. Uh, if you're doing the right sizing, then you are also very intelligently. Uh, storing those vehicles whenever they're not in use. Usually they're just be coming in to charge. Normally what you would do is you would have a certain number of vehicles in reserve uh, fully charged and then have those go out onto the streets while the ones that have to be, have to recharge come in. Um, and, you know, even that, that high upfront cost, it's not, it's not that high when you're looking at the medallion cost and uh, the long term maintenance may be much lower depending upon what breaks because they're also very sophisticated machines right so if you have something that's beyond a mechanical failure where you know you've got a mm-hmm. mechanic coming in there if it's a computational problem that actually could end up being a bigger issue yeah but, uh, me- uh,
1: mechanical cars most cars are mechanical you guys did you know electric cars i've heard can be more expensive to upkeep
3: yeah yeah so that is one of those things where when something when something is a problem it probably is more expensive the Argument I have seen is that problems would be more infrequent, assuming that you have a reliably built vehicle. Uh, of course, that's a that's a big assumption. Obviously, if that's wrong, then that's a problem. But getting back to Uber, where we talked about all those uh, that nineteen thousand Uber drivers that are also in New York City of fifteen thousand to nineteen thousand, depending upon the the what you are looking at. Uber CEO Travis uh, Kalanick said in two thousand fourteen, and here is a way to motivate your employees. That long-term plan for Uber, it was that the company would replace human drivers with autonomous vehicles. <laughs> so essentially saying, hey, uh, all, you, all you guys who drive for us, your days are numbered.
1: You're super replaceable. Don't forget it.
3: Yeah, buy a car. As it turns out, you're replaceable by a machine. Uh, now, we're not there yet, obviously. We don't have autonomous cars that are uh, that are allowed on the streets to do this kind of business. And it may be sometime before we are, but – That is Uber's plan. Um, and for Uber, it makes perfect sense because even though it's that huge upfront cost of purchasing a vehicle that's going to have a $150,000 hike on its price tag, Mm -hmm.
1: which they don't have to purchase any vehicles right now because they use the driver's vehicles. Right.
3: I mean, this is a big expense, but Uber drivers take home, uh, you know, the majority of their, the fares they are. Earn, which makes sense. They're doing the work, right? They're Uber's the facilitator, but they're the per- per- person doing the work. And in fact, I remember seeing when they um, the the rate went down to seventy five percent. Like they take home seventy five percent of the fares. When that happened in San Francisco, that was huge news because they used to take right. home more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from Uber's standpoint, they'd be saying, "Hey, look, we take home the entire fare. Mm-hmm. The car doesn't get any of it. We might re- we have to reinvest in the vehicles, but." The car itself is a machine, a tool. The money goes to the company. So from the company's perspective, it makes perfect sense to make this investment because they'd be making way more money.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, even even taxi services. Uh, taxi drivers receive about 57 percent of their fares or did as of 2005, which is the last number that I could find on it. Mm. Uh, but but that would still make complete sense for taxi companies as well.
3: Yeah. So Kalanick's gone even further than this recently uh, in July of 2015. That's when we are Recording this. Early July, he said he would be willing to purchase 500,000 electric cars from Tesla by 2020 if those cars were autonomous. So, Tesla's been experimenting with autonomous cars. I think they've got like 12 prototypes on the road. And uh, Elon Musk has said that he's very interested in pushing autonomous cars. He says that's the future of cars and it's not going to be in private car ownership. Now, that is amazing. Yeah. Hear a guy who is the CEO of a car company saying personal car ownership is limited. It's not the future. In fact, he sees a future where humans will not be allowed behind the wheel of a car. That only robots will be able to, will be allowed to drive vehicles because they are so much safer than humans are. That if, once you get past that initial you know, experience of, I don't really, I want to be in control. No, I'm out of control. Yeah. Uh, once you get past that and you realize, well, this machine that is in control is way better at doing it than I am. And all the other crazy people on the road are in the same boat. All of their cars are in control. So I don't have to worry about the crazy person who is not really paying attention to to driving, but is paying attention to something completely different and would be a danger otherwise. Well, they're not controlling their car anymore the the robots are so i i think
4: people have convincingly made the case yeah in the future that we're going to look back on the era of people being allowed to drive their own cars kind of in the way we we now look back on the era of doctors not needing licenses <laughs> yeah it's mm-hmm. just
3: kind of like what? what were we <laughs> we're thinking... okay with that so the interesting thing here is that if uh, Kalinick and musk had struck a deal then And and if Tesla, in fact, only made autonomous cars in 2020, the 500,000 cars that Kalinick said he would purchase, that would represent the entire run of that year's Tesla model. (laughs) Wow. Because that's how many cars they make in a year is 500,000. So essentially, Kalanick's saying, I'll buy every car you make in 2020 if it's autonomous. And remember, 9,000 cars, according to that Columbia study, would be enough to satisfy the needs of New York City. So with 500,000, you could... Potentially have tons of markets covered by these driverless cars, assuming it were legal for you to do so. And that again is where we run into the first major roadblock. It's not the technology, which is, I, I wouldn't say it's mature, but it's really close. Like it's much closer than, than what you would expect considering it's not something that's readily available for consumers. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the legal barriers of how do you create legislation that covers a world where both manually operated vehicles and robotic vehicles are sharing the road? Because there's going to be years of transition before we reach this point where the majority or perhaps even all of the vehicles on the street are operated robotically. And until we get there, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some tough decisions unprecedented in some cases and we honestly don't know where that's going to go because humans are far less predictable than machines <laughs> and when it comes to legislation and powerful lobbies as well it's hard to say how that's going to go i mean i i would imagine if i were a politician in new york city the taxi and limousine commission probably and and perhaps in you know organizations representing the drivers we probably want to really have some serious conversations with me about any decisions I might make that would be in favor of autonomous cars and perhaps against human drivers. I would imagine so. So one of the things we do have to think about, like if you are one of those those politicians having to make those decisions, an element that comes into into the conversation that is hard to dismiss is what about the jobs Of all those drivers, not just drivers, but also mechanics, Mm -hmm. you know, folks who would be out of work. I saw one study that talked about how you would see a loss of jobs in auto mechanics because there'd be fewer accidents. So because there'd be fewer accidents, there'd be less call for body work. And then you think, "Well, well, fewer accidents is good because you decrease the risk to human health, Right. I mean, you're you're not going to have as many uh, incidents where someone's going to be injured as a result of an accident. But then, yes, it does have this other uh, effect of eliminating the need for yeah. a job. No
1: one has to repair the cars. No one has to repair the humans when yeah. they get hurt. So, I mean you know, this has kind of far reaching effects. Yeah, sure.
3: there's a domino effect. Definitely. Right. It spreads out or ripple effect even. And domino is probably not even accurate. Ripple is probably more accurate. So. These are questions that we don't necessarily have answers to and, and it's, it's something that you do have to think about. If you're thinking, well, the benefits are clear and it would benefit a ton of people. So it makes sense to make this move from that perspective. However, there are folks that are going to be negatively impacted by this, at least in the short term, if not longer than that. So what do we do about that? Did we, you know, some people I'm sure would argue, Hey, we can't let this stop us from making progress but we can't just ignore it either well certainly
4: i mean i think it's yet another chapter that's pretty similar to previous chapters in in the story of automating work i mean you could say the same thing about farmers in the you know 19th and 20th century Uh, Or or
1: manufacturing
4: yeah i mean or anyone who worked for amazon lots of the jobs that used to exist just don't anymore yeah and I mean, we would probably all now say that we're better off because that we've got machines doing those jobs instead of people. Um, but I'm sure at the time it was hard for the people who had invested time and money into training for those skills. And their, their
1: lives, really. Right. Yeah,
3: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I think is important is that we have to keep in mind that this this era of automation is going to ha- it's going to continue it's yeah. it is coming it's not it's not we- like this is something that is is a maybe. This is a it will happen. We're not going to
4: stop it. We could delay it. But the question is, is it a good idea to delay it? Well,
1: and and it's a question of when, whether we purposefully attempt to delay it or not, because you know, just because Uber says that they want to buy 500,000 cars from Tesla in 2020 doesn't mean that Tesla is going to sell those to them. Right. Or or that they're going to have an autonomous car ready to go in 2020.
3: Musk thinks it's closer to and get ready. 20 to 40 years. Exactly what Lauren was saying. That we don't, you know, 2020 would be... that. That's Kalanick's dream to have that, and, and for obvious reasons. And it would be a big benefit to us as well. As, as you know... It's a huge benefit to Uber, though it would be an enormous benefit for people, too, for the reasons we've already stated. Um, and, but that does mean that we do need to start thinking about what do we do with the people who are these drivers? Like what other jobs could they be doing? How could we transition them from that role to something else? Because it is coming. It's going to happen. Just as automation is going to take over more and more jobs in lots of different disciplines, I just think that the driver's one is a particularly visible uh job that is in danger of being replaced through automation in the foreseeable future.
2: Mm-hmm. What
3: however long that may be from now. But uh, I think twenty years is actually being really super like pessimistic. I think it's, it's going to be conservative. Yeah, yeah. I wow. think it's going to be less than twenty Well, when you have, you know, Henrik Christensen saying that kids born today will never drive a car, like, well, in order for that to be true, yeah, that, that <laughs> kind be... of puts a deadline on it, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. So, uh, I and I, I I side more with his assessment than I do with Musk's, but uh, and it's mostly because there are other players on the field besides Tesla. I mean, that's one company, but Google has been very bullish about this, uh, and well, other companies as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, that, that's another way of looking at it is that. Since it's not really a technology problem, but more of just like a social and political acceptance or maybe say legal acceptance problem, mm-hmm. what will it take to make this transition? Well, it'll basically take some powerful people with money being behind it.
3: Right. Yeah. And it'll, and, you know, having the, these. And, and if we have that, I mean, it right. sounds kind of like we do. Well, especially if, if they're able to pitch it in such a way where it gets public support, where you say, hey, uh, this approach is going to mean less traffic. It's going to mean you spend less time getting from point A to point B and more time doing what you want to do. You're spending less money because you're not paying for car payments or insurance or you're any of that. safer. Yeah. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about being hit by a car, by someone who's, who's distracted because the cars are never distracted. That sort of stuff. That's if they can if they can sell that to the public and the public gets support for it, then I see the change happening more rapidly. But if they don't get that support, it's going to artificially increase the amount of time it takes for this transition to yeah. happen.
4: You know, I think there are a lot of Parents of someday soon to be 15 to 16 year olds who are probably going to be on the on the bandwagon with this,
3: too. Yeah. And I, of course, you, you guys know me. I'm totally on this bandwagon. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would love I mean, imagine the streets of Atlanta if they're if they weren't clogged with traffic all the time i can't i, I can't instead, i don't have that power of <laughs> they imagination were clogged
4: with mechanical spiders that we
3: rode the backs of
1: yeah oh and actually what if your car does get distracted what if it's dreaming
3: <laughs> you know what we'll talk about machines dreaming in our next episode how about that lauren
1: okay all right, we'll do
3: that so you know, since we're already determined what our next episode is going to be As in the one we'll be recording immediately after we stop this one. I want to invite our listeners to suggest future topics for forward thinking. Uh, You know, let us know. you will be like Frank. Write us. Tell us what you think, because that launched into this episode, which was a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, so you can send us a message. Our email address is fwthinking at com, or drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. At Twitter and Google+, we are FWThinking. Go to Facebook, search FWThinking in the search bar. We will pop right up. You can leave us a message, and we will talk to you again
2: really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits
0: Did we just invent California? Discover why
1: California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
2: Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air.